realize I don't have a partner Sometimes I feel like my only friend Is the city I live in It's beautiful Brooklyn Don't as I live Believe I'm gon' cry hey, Cause it's the B, the R, the O, the O, A L-Y-N is the place where I stay The B to get all to the O, the O, A Welcome to the program. This is Smells Like Radio, episode one. I am your host, Jeff Wiles. Thank you guys for checking out the first episode. I appreciate the support. I got a lot of cool stuff planned out and some fun things ahead, so I'm going to get out of the way. I just briefly wanted to say thank you uh, for checking it out. You know, when I was telling my friends I had a podcast planned out when I was telling the details, everyone kind of uh, unanimously replied with a why. Why are you doing this? And I thought, what a great question. Why now? Well, with the release of this, I will be celebrating my one-year anniversary in Brooklyn. Uh, moved out to Brooklyn from Boston. Some of you may or may not be aware, but uh, I was living in Boston with my wife for about five years or so, just meeting all sorts of cool people, really funny people out in Boston, uh, having a blast. I got to do comedy shows all over New England, checking out all sorts of different kind of stages and atmospheres, things like that. Very fun. One uh, weekend in Boston, I was even able to open for one of the lead writers of Saturday Night Live. Mr. Colin Jost himself had me out to Laugh Boston for a couple sold-out shows. Had a blast there. Um, And then, you know, even like community-wise, Boston's a very like sportsy town. And uh, while I was only there for a short time, I was able to catch two Patriots Super Bowls so fun, and uh, as well as a Red Sox World Series. And then, of course, the high watermark for my Celtics. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and are continuing to crush it. So fun out in Boston. Um, we really enjoyed our time out there. Now, of course, it wasn't all fun and games. Boston is notorious for its cold winters, and I will admit I struggled through every single winter I was out there for. Uh, Boston really has some horrific winters, and in fact, two of the winters were all-time record-breaking. One was the coldest winter, and one was the most snowfall that Boston had ever seen. But by far the worst thing I experienced in Boston, worse even than the winters, was the Boston Marathon bombing. Some of you may not realize I didn't really post too much about it, but I was there that day. I was actually at the finish line. I was there supporting my wife who was running in the marathon. Not only was she running in the marathon, but she was crossing the finish line as the bombs went off. It's not easy to say, but the terrorist killed my wife in Boston. Although I feel it's important that I should clarify uh, in honor of her memory, technically she didn't die on that day. Well, I guess if we're getting really technical, technically she's not dead at all. Um, She's actually still living in Roxbury, raising our children. But if I'm being honest, when she lost her leg that day, she became dead to me. And some of you may be thinking, how can you even say that? She lost her leg. But it's important to remember, I lost a lot that day too. You know, I lost a wife, 
I lost my two beautiful children. I lost my favorite Patagonia vest. And in a lot of ways, that one hurts the most because I remember exactly where I put it. I'll never forget, the dust had settled and my ears were still ringing from the explosion. I saw my wife laying there in the middle of the street, her leg barely hanging off her hip. And I thought to myself, wow, that is a lot of blood. I better make sure I take my Patagonia vest off so it doesn't get bloody. So I put it to the side. I, I found a nice little railing. I cleared it off, got the dust away, folded it, put it there, ran over to my wife and helped her out. I'm getting the paramedics' attention. I'm, I'm helping them get her into the ambulance. And right before they closed the door, I had this thought like, Jeff, you better not leave that Patagon's vest behind, buddy. You better go get that. So I turn, I said, wait one minute. I turn, I run over, and it's gone. I remember exactly where I put it. No trace, no footprints, no trail. Guys, I looked for 10, 15 minutes. Nothing. It was Patagonia. Sometimes you just don't get answers in life. You know, it's hard. It's hard. And yes, she was able to get a prosthetic leg but I'll be honest, they don't make a prosthetic foot with like skin field technology. So the quality of her foot jobs really took a hit. And, you know, that's not fair. She knew the left one was my favorite. I just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it, guys. So I did what anyone would do. Uh, I left my wife and kids, moved out to Brooklyn in a one-bedroom apartment, and started a radio show on the internet. So without further ado, let's get into the show. This smells like radio. Pirate radio set at the swap meet, so I will bring to this neighborhood a non-stop talk alternative. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. 
Now, your KSBW weather forecast with Chief Meteorologist Lee Solomon. The weather choppy is going to the east. Is that the east? It might be the east. It's going some motherfucking way. But what we need to focus on is that all the traps will continue to be open 24-7. It will be available for you 24 hours a day. Even when the storm here, you, you can come, come holler at me. Introducing the newest member of the Amazon family, the Amazon Lamp. Utilizing a state-of-the-art facial recognition technology and a high-definition infrared camera sensor, turning the lights on has never been easier. Simply say, lights on. Then sit back and watch the Amazon Lamp illuminate your life. The Amazon Lamp is a perfect gift for small or large living spaces. With the newly designed stereo microphone, your voice commands will be heard even through the thickest of walls. Our design had you in mind, so you'd never go unheard again. I remember radio. I was part of radio. And I'd like to share some of my memories with you. Let's start our sentimental journey with something close to my heart. Welcome back to the program. Today's topic, jesters. More specifically, the success of the geisha. I had found during Women's History Month that the geisha, in a lot of ways, was the most successful jester the world had ever seen. We'll get into that, but before we do, I wanted to paint a little backstory on the jester and how ancient clowning used to go down. Jesters have been littered throughout time, constantly acting a fool. In fact, Shakespeare once described the jester as wise enough to play the fool. I found an interesting passage that speaks about jesters as spiritual symbols. I'd like to read that passage for you now. A jester was a person who had achieved high levels of enlightenment and whose destiny was as a destroyer. Thus, a jester was a person who, via his or her destructive actions, can purify and rid the world of unwanted rubbish ideas. They are there to make people think, rethink, and to heal via the removal of bad processes. Now, that seems like a pretty dramatic description, considering I'm fairly certain some of these jesters got their job because they could juggle. All the same, the description doesn't come out of nowhere. This truly is an ancient job. And when I say ancient job, I mean um, old, timey, like before the internet. You know what I'm saying? Jesters have been around since people have been around. Since people could talk, there was somebody making fun of somebody. I love it. Um, Ancient clowns uh, were very closely tied to spiritual advisory roles, if you believe it. Um, specifically in the Americas, native tribes had what was called the Hayokas. And Hayokas were like a foolish spiritual advisor. They would act out as gods and pretend to do things that gods would never do. And you'd go, oh, hey, maybe if the god of fire doesn't uh, fucking kill and rape, maybe I shouldn't, you know. 
that was the goal. It was to shift your perspective through wild action. Russia actually also had something very similar called the Eurodivi, which I'm probably not pronouncing that right, perhaps because I'm not Russian. These were um, spiritual clowns. They were actually religious clowns. They were literally sent from the church. These guys were saints appointed from the church, from the Orthodox church. They were appointed to the czar um, directly. There was no, Russia didn't have like, they had jesters, but they were literary characters. They weren't um, performers you could hire. Instead, it sounds more like a punishment. The church was like, you're a little too wild. We're going to send one of our uh, uh, religious clowns in there to kind of give you a fresh perspective. And these guys were insane. They had protection from the church so they could do whatever they wanted. They would literally throw shit. They would defecate themselves. They, they, they were insane. They were crazy, crazy uh, cats protected by the church. So nobody could do anything to them. And of course, the goal was, hey, maybe, maybe if I shit my pants, this guy will understand that Jesus loves everybody, even a guy that shits his pants. That was the goal. You know, I, I can't imagine it always worked out that way. But uh, the specific sect of that religion, I believe, was called Foolishness for Christ. If you can imagine such a church, I wonder what the sermon there is like. India had something similar, too. They had the Konagi. These were spiritual clown performers. They would uh, open up for spiritual plays. So imagine you go to church and uh, somebody comes out and does a hot five on, you know, God. That's kind of what their job was. Chinese, they had more of a clown-type character called the Chow. Um, they're a bunch of different types of clowns, successful clowns, uh, the tramp-type clown, samurai clowns. They, they, they went uh, all over the place with the clown character. The Portuguese had the bobo. What I'm trying to say is that jesters are on every continent, every culture, every time period. There has always been a type of jester. I love it. And get this, the earliest clown jester ever recorded was in ancient Egypt. This is about 2500 BC. And what's scary is that's just what's recorded, right? Because a lot of times the act of the jester was undocumented because they were doing wildly obscene and offensive things. So this isn't something that would go down in the newspaper the next day. They were not documenting these actions. These were wild acts that were being performed at royal gala events behind closed doors, uh, sometimes for private parties. You know, the, the, the jester worked in the king's chambers. That was his office. So a lot of shit was undocumented. Something I was able to find, a little fun fact here for you, the ancient Egyptian symbol for a jester was actually just a guy standing alone awkwardly at a party. So that's fun. Now on to the main event, the geisha, the success of the geisha. Okay, so full disclosure, I thought the geisha was a fancy prostitute. Not going to lie, that's 100% what I thought it was. I thought they were high-class prostitutas. And, uh, you know, so I learned a lot when researching. Somebody uh, kind of put me on to something and it led me down a spiral of uh, uh, knowledge chasing, and uh, what I uncovered was pretty interesting, to me at least. I'll keep it short. I know nobody wants to hear history explained from a white guy, so 
props to you guys for hanging in there for that. But the geisha, um, so early days, geishas were around from their their role was from essentially the 13th to practically the 19th century. They were around for a very, very long time. And uh, in those early days, they weren't called geishas. They were called takamochis. This is uh, uh, what became the geisha, the takamochi. So this is when samurai, this is samurai days, obviously feudal Japan, when the samurais uh, created their own government. They had the takamochi to sit in and counsel them on uh, meetings and do tea ceremonies. Uh, some of them were good dancers. They would play music. They were in charge of vibes. Do you know what I mean? They were making sure the vibes were right in the room. And eventually, um, they even got to a position where some of them would serve as a general in the army. So they would fight alongside their lord in battle. That's how intense the Takamochi were. These were real ride-or-die clowns. Now, what eventually happened is the, with the growing popularity, they needed a name and a class and like a proper job title for the Takamochi. Because at that time, it was just kind of, I think it was like a clan type thing. And then it became more of established job. And that's where the geisha comes in. The geisha translates to a fine arts person, um, which uh, basically is what they are. They are scholars in the fine arts. So they are trained in all sorts of different arts for entertaining uh, your guests. So you have a guest come over. If you're dull and you don't want to entertain them, you have your geisha step up to the plate and start fucking hitting home runs for you. And now you look like a G because everybody's having a great time at your party. And uh, it was a good thing. And here's the thing about the Takamochi, about the geisha, the early geisha. All male, not a single female. Zero women in the geisha role. All guys. Now, this is samurai days, and, you know, they were very... Um, Samurais loved dudes. I don't know how much you know about the samurais, but they were obsessed with men. They didn't give a shit about women. The women's role, really, your role and your value came from being a wife, from maintaining the home and raising the children. That was, that was the whole, that was what you were signing up for when you were a woman in uh, feudal Japan until about uh, 1751, the first female geisha shows up at a party and blows everybody's mind. People are jumping out of windows. They're lighting their hair on fire. They cannot believe what they're seeing. It's a woman who is a geisha. She is trained like a geisha. She is just as, if not more, entertaining than a male geisha. People are enthralled. They can't get enough. She is swarmed at this party. And it becomes so popular in the community that by the 1800s, women dominate the geisha field. There is like five dudes left doing the geisha and nobody wants to hire them. You know what I mean? It's all women. They have completely pushed all the guys out and they are dominating the industry. And I say industry, it wasn't even an industry at that time. It was the women who made it an industry. They turned the geisha into an economic force in Japan. There was a phrase back then that if you were to spend too much time with a geisha, you would eventually become one. Meaning that all of your time being spent with this geisha is costing you money, so much money that you will run out of money. And then, of course, your wife would leave you and you would be left homeless. Your only option would be to start studying the arts and become a geisha yourself. It was amazing. So 
here's the thing about the geishas too. All single women. And when I say all single women, I mean the geishas were single women, which was uh, big enough in its own right because the single woman, um, first of all, to be a financially successful woman was mind-blowing enough. But to be a financially successful single woman, people didn't know how to react. The geisha really put single women on the map. They really established a value within the culture um, because they were killing it. They were funny. They were charming. They were skilled musicians. They would read poetry. They would paint. They would do tea ceremonies. They would dance. Um, it, it was everything. They took over. They took over Japan. It was one of the biggest financial booms at that time. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but you get the idea. Shit was popping off. They were really killing it. And um, again, it the single woman, I want to bring this back up. Uh, it wasn't just the geisha that was the single woman. The person that owned the house for the geishas was a single woman. The teachers of the arts were single women. The accountants were single women. The bookers were single women. The lady that ran the Facebook page was a single woman. You get what I'm saying? It was a massive feminist movement. They completely changed the culture of Japan at that time and established uh, value in uh, women because they were undervalued. And how great is this? Well, I don't know. It's kind of bittersweet, a bit tragic. It went on like this for about 200 years. Women just crushing, just running the game. And this is during the samurai time, too. This is during one of the most powerful... Um, masculine times in Japan, women rose to power um, and, and really had, were moving coin. I can't, I can't press this enough. They were moving volume, guys, more so than Rick Ross. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyways, 200 years and went on like this until just about the 1900s, war came into play for Japan. And so the geisha um, reluctantly took off their makeup got out of their geisha robes and went into factories and um, warehouses and things like that to support the country during this time of war. Very patriotic, very noble, very honorable. Um, unfortunately, what was also happening during that time was prostitution was kind of legal. Um, it's it's going to take a long time to get into that storyline, but I'll keep it short. They had kabuki houses. You've heard of kabuki theater. These were performers. They were actors that you could, they would go, they were strippers. Let's be honest. They were strippers, but you could hire them for prostitution afterwards in the house, their little kabuki house theater place. So what started happening is these prostitutes started telling people they were geishas. They started dressing like geishas because geishas were so popular and everyone wanted to be around them. Um, they would try and get clients by being like, hey, I'm a geisha. And of course, geishas were like, ho, oh, no, you ain't. You know what I mean? But what happened is once the geisha stepped down um, from the spotlight and moved into a supportive role for the country, um, you know, then the prostitutes really took over. Uh, there, was nobody, there was nobody left to say, no, you're not, because all the geishas were working their asses off, supporting the country. Meanwhile, these hoes would go up to like American GIs and be like, hey, for... 35 cents, you can smear my makeup off with your dick. And so, of course, <laughs> how do you pass up that offer? The 
American GIs would go back to America and be like, yo, you got to go to Japan and check out these geishas. And I feel ignorant, but I think that's where I got the impression that geishas were prostitutes because um, prostitutes pretended to be geishas. So they got me. They got me. So what have we learned? Perhaps nothing. But I feel like my intentions were good. I wanted to highlight a time where ancient Japanese she-clowns were making sure parties were lit for samurais. And they made a lot of money doing this. Not from blowjobs, mind you. Okay? Or shooting ping-pong balls out of their butt. No. Using the arts. Not by stripping. Not by misplacing octopus tentacles. No. They utilized years of education in the fine arts field to forever change a culture and society. I want to thank you for listening. And for those of you who may be wanting to reach out to me and uh, address some of the things I may or may not have gotten wrong in the last couple minutes here, just know that this was researched very, very, very minimally. And now back to your show. Just in time for the final segment of today's program. I had a couple friends come through and sit on the couch with me, and we tickety talked about a couple siggity subjects. Ryan Chaney joins the show. He is a comedian from Boston. I know him from my days out there. We used to run around all over New England doing shows anywhere we could. He is a photographer, of course, a comedian, but he's also just an overall artist, and you can catch his work at ryanchaney.com. Also joining the show is Dwayne Murphy Jr. This is actually the first time I got to meet Dwayne, but uh, so glad I did. He is very funny. He runs a show called Run From the Police. That's at Much More's out in Williamsburg. Great show. Glad to have him around. So let me stop blabbing and remove myself so that they may introduce themselves. Gentlemen. I can introduce myself. Uh, this is Ryan Chaney, uh, sitting in a beautiful couch in Brooklyn, New York, which is not where I'm from. I'm from the uh, Boston, Massachusetts area. Initially from New Hampshire, but moved on down to Boston to stand-up comedy. My own podcast, Learn to Take a Joke. Uh, write short stories. Take photography. Or I take photography. I take pictures of the camera that's called photography. Yes. So I do that as well. Ariel Renaissance Man. Just trying to do whatever uh, gets my eye at the time. Stand-up's the main one. So stand-up comedy is actually... So that and the podcast is what brought me to New York this nice. weekend. Uh, I am uh, Dwayne Murphy Jr., uh, a fellow funny man sitting on the same couch in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I live in Brooklyn. Uh, not too far from here, actually, which is crazy. I didn't know you lived in this, uh, this area, Jeff. Um, 
yeah, you know, I'm uh, I also have my my photography ways, you know what I mean? I gram. I gram pretty oh, hard. Gram. You know what I mean, you can find me. Yeah. Yeah. You gram you gram pretty I gram too, but man, say like I'm a photographer. Uh-huh. I Instagram. I gram. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered That's what like, that uh I'm a documentarian. Follow me on Snapchat. <laughs> like, I've, always, <laughs> I've always wondered if that was an argument happening in the it community. Is. I really yeah. <laughs> it sure, sure is. But uh, <laughs> But yeah. We be gramming. With so many creators on the same couch. <laughs> no, I want to know, what inspires you guys creatively? What kind of art are you taking in these days? Definitely more into music than, uh, I mean, I, I, like, I, like, I like to look at things. I like a starry night. That's my favorite painting, probably. That was think, mine when I was a child, too. Yeah. That was mine when I was a little yeah. Van Gogh action, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was I, well, uh, when I was a kid. I was like, I was super into Starry Night. I, I had a picture. I, I put him It's as deep as that. I just there's an episode of Boy Meets World where uh, Corey wins Topanga back by uh, talking about Starry Night, and it's like, and really, that's what got you, uh, man. Listen, when you were young, African American, impressionable. Man, this is an impression art. Impressionable young child in the fifth grade watching the Disney Channel after school. All right, the uh, the trials and tribulations of Corey and Topanga are what keep you. Uh, I, I'm yeah. so glad though that you came out of that situation with actual culture. <laughs> if you just don't tell anybody of how you acquired that nope. culture, I just go to <laughs> museums. And I'm just like, yeah, you know. You're, they're like, oh, we studied. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a good one, right? Oh, I studied Starry <laughs> Night with my professor for seven years. Mr. Ha- Feeney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like fucking with art. I've been going to more museums like. Uh, you know, fine art museums or modern art museums. The one in Chicago is great. And I, I found out that I get uh, anxiety from miniatures going to that mm-hmm. one. That was a good thing I found out about myself. Little y- yeah, little tiny rooms made out of things and people painting them and stuff. Like, it <laughs> gives me anxiety. That's funny. And it was a room full of them. And they're really good. They're very, impre- like, very impressed. But I like art, yeah. Yeah, art is good, so another Olympics has come and gone. I'm wondering, did you guys get into the Olympics at all? Did you watch any of the sports? How, do you like medals? Uh, see, I, I'm more of a, a summer Olympics because uh-huh. like Winter Olympics to me is just a, all, the whole world's slipping in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's just falling down things and yeah. figuring out how to stay up on your feet. Dwayne, what about you? I've been watching the Olympics like this. Uh, they've been on in various destinations yes. uh, that I've been the last two or three weeks. And uh, when I see like two or three people look up, I just stayed in the crowd and, I'm, and I try to figure out what the lingo <laughs> is. So if it's speed skating, I'm like, oh yeah, he's gonna need to bring down his uh, time run. Yeah, like, <laughs> look at that. Oh, do you see how he just took the the side of the blade? Yeah, like, it's oof, you know. <laughs> I definitely don't feel like less of an American from the little I have watched of the Olympics. This is probably the little or the least amount of Olympics I've watched. To me, the most interesting story in this year's Winter Olympics has been the joining of North and South Korea. They entered the Olympics as the Republic of Korea, which I feel like is a smart move on South Korea's part. I'll be honest, I don't know how many more options they had than to team up. Kim Jong was like, I'm having my own Olympics. So yeah. Just <laughs> and I win. That's and all. It's it. called I Win He's Olympics. He's curling by himself, like sweeping there, pushing the stone. Like, <laughs> He's using heads. <laughs> Dudes, bros, you think there's an Olympics in space? Most definitely. I... I I think that whoever doesn't think that there's aliens is the most selfish individual, the most zero sight person out <laughs> like, there. Like you <laughs> think that we're the only thing. You we are know. still discovering species on our thing. Yeah. There's we can breed dogs. Like look at this planet Earth. You be I be looking up and I'm like that that's that's normal. Like yeah. seriously, like birds. You see that's that? On it's this like planet? what? Yeah. 
That's on this planet. It, yeah, I, yeah, I honestly, I definitely, when people are like aliens, whatever. I, honestly, I grew up in church, so like when you bring up aliens, everybody's like, uh, nope, nope, yeah. Jesus, no. I wouldn't let it happen. And I'm like, listen, I believe in Jesus. I love him. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I have my faith. It is what it is. But I'm damn sure there's some aliens out there. There have to be, all right? You don't just come up with Star Wars. Star Wars. But alien-wise, my friend's mom had a weird thing that she talked to me about with aliens at one point. So, Beach... We sit there and stare out at the ocean. What would another like world think about that? Do you know what I mean? Like that they saw us just all migrating towards, yeah, water, and then you're staring at it. I'd be like, let's get, let's do something to that water. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> let's get figure it. out that water. When you have a bird's eye view of something, you know yeah. what I mean, or an alien's eye view of something, you know, it you could be birds. Well, the, the bird's eye view isn't technically just only a bird. It's because of the height, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, just the top. View. So we could say alien eye view, which would be more worldly. Okay. It, it, it's all inclusive for sure. We wanna we wanna stay uh, progressive. You know, stay woke, as they say. Would you want to meet an alien if you had the opportunity? One hundred percent. For sure. No, they. Would you ask any questions before you met this alien, or would you just want to do it? Cause like I'd be like hostile? Question mark. Yeah. Oh, what's a hello? Is there definitely, a way? I definitely want to catch the vibes first. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, hey, what's what? What's 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 up? You know what yeah. I mean? But if he's not giving off that I'm trying to, you know, kill you vibe, I'll, I'll talk to him. So if you came into, say, like a party or something, and then we all sat in a room yeah. and there was a door shut and like we legit, there is an alien, a life, different life form, never, not from this world, in there right now, you can just go through the door and do it. I'm not going to answer any questions. You, would you go? Um, honestly, I gotta know how they reproduce first. Wait, what? Reproduce? So, like, you, you just want to go fuck an alien? Is that what you mean? <laughs> like, hold on a second. <laughs> oh, no, this uh, isn't a bedroom door shut. There's <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> like, some sultry music in there that aliens <laughs> later. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with what I know. And, like, <laughs> I at least know I'm good at that, so let's, let's not swing for the fences with intergalactic intercourse. Trying to get in them alien guts. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a question, too. Yeah. How do they. So, hostile. How do they reproduce? Well, do they reproduce hostily? How they get in the room to start out? You know what I mean? Am I just am I just showing up and everybody just sitting here like, yo, go in that room. There's an alien in there. Oh, or like, I was picturing know. like everyone came and then the host was like, hey guys, the reason I asked, <laughs> the reason I want to, how's the cheese platter? I'm glad we got an alien in the back. Glad you guys have all been having such a great time. All yeah. Right? <laughs> now, we had, now for the twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is an alien in this room right <laughs> now. Feel free to go meet. Like, is this like a mystery dinner party or something? Uh, yeah, so I definitely believe in aliens. Yeah, for sure. Warning. Scandal alert. I repeat, this is a scandal alert. I don't know. I'm big on, like, fighting justice. I'm big on that. I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play into my ultimate career somehow. You know what I mean? I'm going to be a big deal. There was a Volkswagen scandal a couple years ago that uh, I vaguely remember. I wasn't, like, really driving a Volkswagen back then. I had a... Uh, uh, Mercury Tracer. That was my car. First Mercury car. Mercury Tracer. They don't even make Mercury's anymore, do they? No, they didn't at the time either. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, it just something I got. You know, Master Yoda is what I called it. <laughs> they were having trouble selling Volkswagens in America because the diesel fuel that they were using to make the car faster and stuff like that, the exhaust was creating more pollution. So they started saying that they created a way to uh, s- fix it. So they were calling it TDI Clean Diesel. Oh. And and so they were selling it like on commercials and saying that this car was not only was it faster, more efficient and everything, but the exhaust burned cleaner than any car in, wow. in the world. 
and their so this is like the sales first shot up Prius kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and so they this like uh, team of students in like West Virginia University, I think they said they were like um, they went and they wanted to test one of the cars legitimately just to be like we want to see how it works. You know, we're amazed by how they did it. Everybody believed it worked, um, and uh, they kept finding like different like uh, mess. They kept finding like different like discrepancies. Oh wow! The, yeah, to the point where basically that what they were saying, yeah, they figured out that it was burning more exhaust than any other car. Gets rid of blackheads, heartbreakers, psoriasis, Christ! You don't know the meaning of heartbreak, buddy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Cause it's effective, it's defective. It creates household odors. It disinfects. It sanitizes for your protection. Gives you an erection, it wins the election. Why put up with painful corns any longer? It's a redeemable coupon, no obligation, no salesman will visit your home. We got a jackpot, jackpot, jackpot. Prizes, prizes, prizes. They were getting away with it, you know, hand over fist. And I, I don't know, I get into this stuff, I'll be like, yeah. I'll be like, how could they do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, money. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. yeah no, they got money for yeah, They got money for that. You know what I mean? God, did anyone go to jail? None of them went, none of them went to jail. Damn it. How do we do it? 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 We need your business. We're going out of business. We'll give you the business. Get on the business. And the all going out of business. Sale. Dude, I believe it. We're living in wild times. I, I'm going to hate it when I'm like 40 and it's all fucking just school shooting movies. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be so annoying. It's go- oh, um, oh, that's ter- that's cr- that's that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's just go- Yo, but it's scary. They are coming, man. All right, guys, final question for the show. Before we get to the plugs, I want to ask, if you could send a message to the refugees, what would that be? Like refugees uh, in America, of the world? Like, like hey, um, you can do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, if you need a place to stay, hey, I mean, I'm not saying come to my place. I'm just saying you, you'll find something. You just keep hope alive, man. Keep it, keep it up. I don't really know. Is that – should we should – we, say more i don't really know if i have more to say really i don't want to overstep my boundaries or anything i just you know i'm currently you know living with my grandmother i feel like a refugee <laughs> that's i don't know if that's insensitive or not but hey you know i'm i'm i'm, a, I'm believing that my future is gonna work out for the best so i'm hoping that yours works out for the best so everybody's yeah that's what i'm gonna say to the refugees yeah we did it man uh, Shouts out to Ryan Chaney and Dwayne Murphy for coming through. We did the damn thing. Uh, these are their plugs so that you, the people, can find them. Gentlemen, Tom, where to go? Uh, I have, uh, well, the same stuff, I guess. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Murphy Jr. Jokes. So you can find me on there. And uh, I guess I got a show in Williamsburg. Uh, Word. I run a producer with two other comics. It's called Run From the Police. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a good show. It's a good little. Small little room, fun little crowd. We have a nice time once a month. We do, uh, we do a good thing, Ryan. Uh, name Ryan Chaney, C H A N I. Remember, that's my Remember, name. Remember, just <laughs> that's my name, and you can put anything in front or behind it, and you'll find me. Yeah, that's all you can do. You don't have to, you have to do anything besides that. No gaps. Photography, just, Ryan. Chaney. Yeah. Uh, Prevent your thumb from hitting the space bar. That's the only thing you have to worry about. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and you'll find me. 
Um, I don't know, the podcast, Learn to Take a Joke. That's on all stuff, too. That one's fun to do. Uh, record people. <laughs> Talk about stuff. You know how it goes, podcasts. Um, also, for the art stuff, I've been doing these short stories, and then I give the stories to different artists, and then they do like illustrations or renditions of things for the story, and then I put it into the story itself. That's been really, really fun. I've uh, kind of lost myself in that shit for a little bit. But you can see those at my uh, my website, uh, ryanchaney.com. There. Yeah. Oh, don't forget about my photography on Instagram. Uh, oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> Gramming. No, I'm yep. saying. <laughs> Off mic. Crazy show. Yeah, all right. The end of the show. I uh, hope you had a good time. Keep your eye out for episode two. Bound to hit you soon. Uh, be safe out there. What else can I tell you? Brush your teeth. Use dryer sheets. Look both ways when you cross the street. I'm out of here, guys. Peace. some nice shit here. Look at that. Look but at that real estate right here. I, I, I'm selling that on the intergalactic market. <laughs>